Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Hi, everybody. My name is Neil Thompson. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. So my first guest, or my guest today, Tom Schwab, I heard him on a podcast. I was so impressed by his expertise. I really wanted to have him on the channel. And then when I found out that he has a degree in mechanical engineering, then I really wanted to have him on the channel. But he doesn't actually work in mechanical engineering. He is the founder of Interview Valet, and it's a service that matches podcast guests and podcasts. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Tom. Neil, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. So I mentioned in the intro that you studied mechanical engineering. Where did the interest in mechanical engineering come from? Well, I think it really came from, uh, I loved how things worked and systems and all the rest of that. And I have to thank everybody in the U.S. for paying for my education. Uh, I went to the U.S. Naval Academy and there it was uh, 80% of the students were engineers. Uh, so from that standpoint, it made sense. So I did my uh, undergrad mechanical engineering and then it gets worse. It gets geekier. I did nuclear propulsion after that. So literally my first job out of college was running nuclear power plants. I loved the, the, the way things worked, the, the systems that I learned from that. And I've used that throughout my entire life, but I also came to realize that uh, God did not make me to be an engineer. Um, so I've always loved that. It taught me how to think. Um, and it's always amazing what you can do with a, a STEM degree, um, really in other parts of your life. It's a great, great foundation. Oh, yeah, I fully agree. So you finished engineering school, you worked at a nuclear power plant, but you obviously you didn't go straight from nuclear power plant to internet valet. There were some jobs in between there. What kind of jobs did you do in between, in between those two? So it, it goes along with the gray hair. So I got out of the Navy uh, and went to work for corporate America. So I started off in uh, manufacturing engineering and did a good job there, but quickly they moved me to production supervisor, uh, then distribution manager, and was moving up the company very quickly and thought, you know, I love being outside. I love talking with people, doing different things. Uh, so I had the opportunity to, uh, to go into uh, medical device sales, uh, got to use my engineering background in that, uh, then ran my own company. And, uh, you know, then from there, um, read a a book by two smart guys out of MIT, uh, Darmesh Saw and Brian Halligan. They went on to um, uh, launch a company and uh, called HubSpot. Brian's the CEO of HubSpot now. They've got a, a market cap of about $6 billion. But one of the observations they made, which I thought was so true, was that nobody's using the internet to be sold stuff anymore. We're using the, the internet to solve our problems. And so that those people that solve the problems the best, those that give the best answers, the best service, get the know, like, and trust. And it's called inbound marketing. And so originally we used um, content. You know, a lot of content was blogs. Mm -hmm. And then about four years ago, we realized, wow, you know, podcasts and podcast interviews are such powerful content. So we started to test podcast interviews. 
and they worked 25 times better than blogs. So that gave birth to Interview Valet. Oh, wow. You said you worked in medical device sales? I did. Oh, um, wow. That's pretty cool. So, I actually, I worked in, in medical device myself, but not in sales. Though. I was a product development engineer. Man, you, you, you went into step, you did, you studied mechanical engineering and then went into sales. What's wrong with you? Well, that's <laughs> the thing is they told me um, that uh, geeks could not sell, right? Engineers yeah. could not sell. Uh, so I actually left a operations um, job without saying the company. You can, you can figure it out if I'm Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, there's only one based in there. But I left there, uh, went to sell for a competitor for about 18 months and took a territory from zero uh, up to where it was taking a lot of their market share. And they're like, wow, engineers can sell. And uh, so uh, uh, they brought me back to sell for them. But I loved it because it was really engineering geeks, whatever you want to call it. It teaches you how to think and to think on your feet and problem solve. And, you know, that's all businesses. That all, that's all life is, is, is problem solving. And oh, wow. I, I'm always amazed. You meet somebody, and accountants, if they, if they were an accounting major, they think like accountants. Um, uh, engineers think like engineers. Mathematicians think my, like mathematicians. Art majors, I don't know if they think, they just feel. <laughs> For sure. Wow, that, that's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I could never think of myself, well, you know what? I probably should get rid of the mentality to not think of myself as anything. You can do whatever you want. So, you mean, the fact that you went from engineering to sales, so what? I mean, you, engineers can do anything, right? I remember one of my clients, um, in, in orthopedic devices, they were using uh, uh, an element called zirconium uh, mm -hmm. for a bearing surface. And uh, I made the point that there is more uh, zirconium in a nuclear reactor than he will ever implant, that his hospital, that orthopedic surgeons will ever implant in a lifetime. And he looked at me, he goes, you know, how do you know that? And I explained it to him and uh, he says, don't you think you're overqualified to be a, uh, a sales rep? And I said, no, everybody else is just underqualified. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's pretty cool. So, you know, obviously, you know, you, you started, you know, uh, interview ballet and there, there, there was, I'm sure there was a motivation for that, but from just based on the job that you had before that, what did you like the most about them and what did you like the least? To me, I love learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I mean, um, I golf awful, uh, so I don't consider golf a hobby. To me, learning, reading, connecting with people, that's what I really love. And so the flip side of that, what did I love the least? Um, it had to be being isolated. So if you put me in a cubicle, um, that is almost like putting me in uh, solitary confinement. I remember when I was working in corporate America there, it was like being on a ship, you know, and, and after a year and a half, if you didn't live within 100 yards of me, um, work in the same building that I did, or the kids didn't go to school together, I probably didn't know you and my world got really small. And so that's why I loved um going out and, and selling because I got to meet so many people. And I think that's what I, I love now about the job I do. You know, my mom still doesn't understand what I do. <laughs> I wrote a book. I gave her a copy of the book. She read it and she says, honey, I still don't understand podcasts, uh, but I'm proud of you. And I told her, mom, all we do is introduce people that should know each other. And she said, well, that's really nice. And I'm sure she's still telling her friends I'm an engineer, 
But to me, that's what I, I that's what I love. I'm a connector. I love solving problems. I love introducing people that should know each other. You know what, Tom? Now you now you now I think about it. I think my mother probably does the same thing too. Probably tells people that I'm an engineer. You know, because I don't think she really understands what I do either. Uh, then again, I'm not sure she ever took we took the time to, to to think about it anyway. As long as I'm happy, I'm guessing she's happy too. Yeah, she's she's proud of you no matter what you're doing. No question. You'd mentioned even before interview valet that you had run a, a comp- your own company. What company was, was that? Yeah, so um, I had a distributorship um, selling for the manufacturers. Right. So you know you could say that's a business, and it was a business, uh, but we had one supplier, and that puts you in a very awkward position. So when uh, Michigan led the country into the Great Recession the manufacturer came to me and said, hey, we would like to cut out the middleman and go direct. And I'm like, from a business perspective, that makes total sense. Until you look in the mirror and you go, hey, I look like the middleman. Now, they, they did uh, well by me and everything, but we had a sideline business that was direct to patient durable medical equipment. And we just rented it to people. And so we did that in Michigan um, and really a brick and mortar Salesforce type thing. Um, and I realized that we could do a lot more good in the world if we did that nationally. But there's at that point in time, you know, uh, with the economic crisis, what it was, I wasn't going to start a brick and mortar national business. Uh, so that's why we started to leverage the internet. And within three years, we went from being a regional player to the national leader and ended up selling that company. Hmm. What is it, just out of curiosity, do you have any opinion on physician-owned distributorships? Uh, wait, what was the question again? Uh, do you have any opinion on, on pods, physician-owned distributorships? Um, I think it aligns, um, it aligns some incentives, you know. Um, nobody's going to care about it more than the person that's implanting it. Um, and I think that's that's powerful. The flip side is is it could be a uh, a potential conflict of interest. Um, you know, if I'm a patient, am I are they picking this implant uh, because of the distributor for it, or because it's the best thing for me? Right. Um, so I think uh, from that standpoint, uh, even some hospitals uh, sort of raise an eyebrow on that. So um, it's like anything. It's not it's not perfect, but if you know. Uh, the pluses and minuses going into it, and everybody's aware of what it is. Um, you know, it's like uh, you go to a real estate closing. Uh, it's not bad if the seller's agent and the buyer's agent are bad. It's only bad if everybody is surprised by that. For sure, for sure. You well, you, you spoke about this a, a, a little earlier, but just how to, maybe you can go a bit more into the the transition you made from all these other jobs you had, working in medical device sales, having your own distributorship to actually starting Interview Valet. What really motivated the, the transition to podcast marketing? Well, you know, it's everybody talks about it. Well, that's a major pivot. I don't think most times in life we ever do major pivots. It's like one thing leads to another. And while you're going forward, you can never see that step. But I think as I look back on it, everything I did has led me to where I am. So the things I knew about marketing on sales, the engineering, how to build a process, all of that I draw on where I am right now. Um, And I think to me, uh, my wife pointed this out to me um, probably about four years into our marriage. 
she pointed a, a, a trend in my life is that I'll work really hard for something for two years to make it work. And then I make it work. And then I'll work two more years and it becomes very profitable. And then that last two years, it's it working well, it's very profitable, but I'm just bored with it. And I go on to something else. And she pointed that out about year four in our, our marriage. And she's like, um, are you going to get bored of me and move on to something else? <laughs> so I still haven't mastered um, that, uh, but uh, I love her dearly. But I think for me, it's always a new challenge. I mean, if you would have told me that I was going to do the same thing as I did when I got out of college, I, I probably would have slipped my wrists. Um, you know, I, I loved what I did, but I did that for a season. I learned what I needed to and then went on to the next thing. And from that standpoint, I'm always learning and excited. And, um, you know, I don't know where I'll be in 20 years, but I tell you what, I won't be retired. I'll be doing something fun and, uh, and learning. Yeah, and hopefully you'll have the same wife too, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Interview Valet. Exactly what is it? What, what do you offer people? Sure. So today, a lot of people talk about how to break through the noise. And honestly, you know, I believe that we're not breaking through the noise. Most of us are just adding to it. You know, it's like yelling at a football game. Nobody's hearing you. So the question is, is how do you get heard by those people that you could help? And I think the biggest problem all of us have today is obscurity, right? No matter who you are, there's something you have right now, a product, a service, knowledge that you could help hundreds of people, thousands of people, maybe even millions of people, if they knew about you. Mm -hmm. So the problem is, is they just don't know about you. So how do you break through that obscurity? And one of the things that we saw is that instead of trying to break through the noise, get in on the conversation. And that's, that's what Interview Valet helps our clients do. We work with authors, coaches, speakers, um, brands to get them on podcasts that their ideal customers are already listening to so that they can tell their story, get that no like, and trust, and move people from being just a passive listener to an active visitor and ultimately an engaged lead. Okay, interesting. So how do you convince the, the, the hosts of the podcast to engage the, the clients of, of Interview Valet? Well, and that's a, a great thing because I think with anything, you've got to ask what put yourself in your customer's shoes and say, what's in it for them? You know, there's that old joke of everybody's favorite radio station is what, WIFM, what's in it for me? <laughs> I now made a mess up those letters, but uh, the idea is, you know, um, our clients, they want to get on podcasts. Well, the podcast hosts, they want great guests. So we vet our guests very well. I mean, we've got some of the top talent out there. Daryl Strawberry, um, we worked with him uh, for his virtual book tour. So we're working with top talent out there. But even with that, what does the podcast host want? You know, the podcast host wants great content for their audience. They want somebody that shows up on time, sounding great with professional sounding equipment, somebody that's not going to just give an infomercial, but's going to educate and entertain people. So we work with our clients on that. And then the podcast hosts also want somebody that's going to promote the show. So we work with all of our clients that all of the episodes get promoted. So really, we make it easy for the podcast host 
to say yes to one of our guests. Um, I'm sure as a, as a podcast host yourself, you probably get some pitches. And some of them are probably as bad as the pitches I get. <laughs> I don't have a podcast. I've, I've been on over 1,200 podcast interviews, and I still don't have a podcast. But I probably get a pitch every day, maybe two a day. And every pitch starts the same way. You know, dear Tom, I would love to be on your podcast. I've listened to it, and, and I love the podcast. And I'm like, Neil, if you're going to lie to me, tell me I'm pretty. Don't, don't tell me that, uh, that you like my podcast. Oh, and so from that standpoint, um, uh, you know, put yourself in the customer's shoes and what can I do to help them to make their life easier? And that's what we focus on. Oh, man, that's, that's, that's so lame. They, they, they didn't even bother to do any kind of homework. It's probably just a form letter that they're just sending to everybody and just switch out your name or switch out the, the name they had in there for your name. Oh, uh, and it's, it's funny because some of them, uh, in fact, I, I've got a friend that said, I should do a podcast called Bad Pitches and get somebody with like a um, dramatic voice, you know, um, to read some of the pitches. Uh, I've been pitched... Uh, by people that are like um, uh, nursing mothers or something, and that's their expertise, and they want to be on my podcast. I have real estate people that want to be on my podcast, and it's like, A, I don't have a podcast, and B, what do you think it's called? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, we cover nursing mothers, we cover real estate investing, we, we, we run the whole gamut, gamut. That's right. <laughs> So how do you, how, so the people that, that eventually engage you to be, uh, they want to be podcast guests, how do you vet them? How do you qualify them? Yeah, really, you always want customers that are going to have great success, right? Nobody wants just another client because that doesn't help you. So we look from the very beginning of, will they have success with podcast interview marketing? And after our first hundred clients, we looked and said, why do some people get good results? and other people get great results. And it really boiled down to, to four things. It was message, market, machine, and then match. And so if anybody's listening, you just score yourself on this and you'll see how well you'll do on podcast interviews. So like the first one is message. Do you have stories to tell or just a product to sell? Nobody likes an infomercial and podcasts are awful places to sell from. Um, if you try selling from a podcast, um, it probably that recording will get lost, right? So um, do they have a good message? The second one is market. And market is, do you know who you want to talk to? And do you have something that can help them? Now, we had some people that came to us and said, I want to talk to everybody. <laughs> I, I don't want to break your bubble, but not everybody wants to hear you. No doubt. <laughs> and, and other people would come and say, um, why I'm doing this is I want to build my brand. And I'm like, well, what's in it for the host or the audience? Uh, so that's the market. The, the third thing is the machine. And the machine is if you go on a podcast interview, I guarantee you when somebody hears you, they're going to go check out your website and or your social media. And if they go to that, and it looks like it was made in Y2K, or it looks like you're in the witness protection plan, I don't care how great you were on the interview, you're gonna lose all credibility. So that's message, market, and machine. The last one is match. Uh, we focus on just three verticals. It's business, faith and spirituality, and health, nutrition, and wellness. 
Um, so if you're not one of those verticals, uh, and it's not necessarily where our customers are, but where their customers are, um, then we're not a good fit for you. So like recently I had a professional comedian reached out to me and I talked to him. He was a great guy. And I'm like, oh yeah, podcast interview marketing will definitely work for you. You got the message, the market, the machine. And he's like, well, great. I want to work with you. And I'm like, no, we don't focus on that vertical. You know, I'm not going to try to figure something out on your dime. And he's like, but I really want to work with you. How can I do that? And I said, well, if you find 24 other comedians that want to do this, we'll get into that vertical. And I hear from him every now and then that he's still talking it up. But uh, that's how we really look at it when we vet customers. Because um, ultimately, we want every person we work with to have huge success. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, it's, it's something you said that kind of struck me is what's in it for me. I, it's, just, it's just, it seems like an epidemic almost. It's people just out here just don't care about helping others. They're just worried. They're just thinking about what's in it for them. There's no, there's no idea of reciprocity. You know, you get so much more when you give. Serve first. Well, and I think if you look at it as what's in it for me, you're going to be, you're going to be upset. But if you always focus on what you can do for the other person, um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's got that book, jab, 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 right hook, and I probably missed a couple jabs on that. You know, I look at it as serve, 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 ask. Um, and often it's the customer that's asking you, you know, how can I work with you? Um, you don't have to close the sale. They're trying to ask you. Uh, there's a podcaster, um, Doug Sandler from Nice Guys on Business. And I love the point that he made one time. He said, as a podcast guest, you should never promote yourself, right? If you do a good job, the podcast host will promote you even better. So that whole thing of we teach every one of our clients, your goal when you go onto a podcast is to make the host look like a genius for introducing you to his audience or her audience. Yeah, for sure. I think I think you're right about that. Uh, and I'm sure the, the host of the podcast is, you know, would be really appreciative of that too. So I know that you're also, you work at, you're also a speaker. So have you always been good at public speaking? And if not, what did you do to get better? I, I, I'm going to challenge your question there. I, I don't think that I'm good at public speaking right now. I was in Toastmasters for a while and I would always win for the most ums and uhs and all the rest of that. Oh, wow. You're a filler guy, huh? <laughs> I, I'm a filler guy. Uh, but I just look at it as podcast interviews have definitely helped me tell my story. I think listening to myself on podcast interviews has helped. Um, you know, podcasts are a digital stage. Um, and at times, uh, we talk to more people through a podcast than we do one-on-one -on -one through a stage. And so for me, it's really helped me craft my message, see what resonates. And also for me, it's less intimidating. Um, while I'm probably a, a functional introvert, uh, I'm not as extroverted as I probably come across on podcast interviews. Um, if I'm up in front of a stage, I would be more hesitant than I would be on a podcast. You know, I've talked to tens of thousands of people on a podcast interview, 
I never thought anything because, you know, Neil and I are just talking. I can do this. Mm-hmm. It's not intimidating. Uh, but I can remember about, uh, oh, six months ago, I drove up to Lansing, Michigan to talk to a, a crowd up there. And it was great. But I got halfway through it and I had to stop to him. And I'm like, you know, this is the smallest crowd I have talked to in probably a year. I said, I, don't get me wrong. I am thrilled to be here. There's like 80 people, but you don't understand. I drove an hour and a half to get here. I'll drive an hour and a half home. I'll stick around here. I said, most of the time, I'm jumping on a podcast interview and I'm talking to hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people. And I may have shorts on. I may have flip-flops on. Uh, my kids call it the podcaster mullet. You know, you got to be business on top. <laughs> see you down below. I mean, there's, uh, so from that standpoint, I think it's easier to be a speaker doing it digitally than standing up on a stage. So that's helped me. Yeah, you're probably right. In I know that you said you know it's easier in digitally than on stage, but I'm out of, out of curiosity. When you are on stage, or at least before you hit the stage, do you get nervous? And if so, how do you deal with those nerves? I get nervous all the time. I mean, I was nervous before our podcast here. I wanted to make sure everything was okay, double check things. Uh, I think if you don't get nervous, that's a problem, right? Because at that point, you don't care. Um, you know. Even when you get up to bat, you know, uh, when you're doing sports, uh, I don't care how many times you've you've run the race or been in the batter's box. I think there's still some nerves in there, and that's a good thing. Uh, for me, um, some of it is just routine, right? So I've got a routine that I go through before speeches, before podcast interviews, where I'll go through my checklist. Um, I'll I'll pull up the one sheet. Uh, I'll you know do some research so that I'm. I'm ready to go on stage there. And I think that's that routine helps you uh, just the same way. Um, you know, a basketball player, is it something mysterious that why they have to bounce the ball three times before they do a free throw? Um, is that batter in the batter's box? Does he bless himself because he's blessing himself or is it just a routine thing? So I try to get into a routine and get comfortable with it um, and then just be as prepared as I can. Uh, you know, no, nothing will add to your nerves more than jumping out on stage and having no idea where you are. Yeah, I fully agree with you, Tom. And th- that point you made about if you're not nervous, it means you don't care. I wholeheartedly agree with, with that statement. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's 100% true. And you always want to you want to care because if you don't care, the audience won't either. And it will come through no matter what you do if you're just phoning it in. For sure. Uh, if it's an interview, if it's at work. Uh, if it's at sports, uh, you know, and you're just throwing the free throw up there or are you taking it serious? Mm-hmm. So do you have any tips for people who maybe are not as proficient? I know you say you're, you don't think you're a good public speaker, but I think you're pretty good. Do you have any tips for people who are, are, are fearful of public speaking and how they can get better? Yes. The first thing is practice. Get over it. A lot of people say, and I said this originally, I don't like the way I sound. Well, you don't have to listen to yourself. My wife used to listen to all my podcast interviews and she'd give me feedback. That's fine. The other thing that I think most people have a problem with is what would I talk about? I'm not an expert. I had a problem with this. And somebody pointed out to me what the legal definition of an expert is. 
It's someone who knows more by their training, their experience, their knowledge than the average person. So your business, you're in it day in and day out. You've got more expertise in your business than most anybody else. Your career, you focused on that. You know that. So you're an expert on that. Now, it doesn't mean you're the only one uh, undisputed expert, but you've got expertise in there. You know, the only thing that I am the only undisputed expert in, and you are too, is your opinion. Now, that doesn't mean my opinion won't change with time, but, you know, when somebody asks you a question on, you know, what does this mean to you or uh, how do you see this? Your viewpoint is unique and that experience that you bring. You know, Neil, when I was in the Navy, it, uh, it something struck me is that you could always tell somebody that was new on an aircraft carrier. If you go up on the superstructure, there's a place called Vultures Row, and every newbie would walk up the ladder to watch the planes take off and land. And after a day or two, you're just like, you know, that's a lot of work to get up there. I'm not going up there. And after a while, after people would be on there, they would be like, I'm not walking all the way up there. But yet afterwards, people would go, wow, did you watch all of the jets? And I was like, no, because that was ordinary to me. And I think whatever we do, what's ordinary to us is amazing to other people. So whatever our experience is, um, other people are amazed by that. And the other thing about that, too, is if you're scared to share your experience, you need to get over it, right? Because today, it's never been easier to share what you know with somebody else. And think about it, what you know could help somebody else. And I just look at it and you know, I'm blessed to be a blessing. There's a lot of people in the world that have taught me things. And while I can't thank them all, the best thing I can do is to teach what I have learned. Maybe give credit to you know, uh, the skipper, uh, Captain Hayden, Bill Hayden, uh, that taught me something. And just do that and to, to pass it on. And I think the people that say, well, I'm scared. I'm an introvert. I, I, I don't want to stand on a stage and, and talk to 10,000 people. That's okay. Then just get on a podcast. Talk to Neil. Neil is a nice guy. He, you know, I have never been yelled at by a podcaster. <laughs> and if, it, if anything, it's the opposite. It's like you leave a podcast interview at, after a half hour um, almost feeling like your friends. And I've got some great relationships from there. So um, if, you're, if you're intimidated by public speaking, if you don't think you've got anything to offer, um, you need to get out of your head and, uh, and realize that what you, what's ordinary to you is amazing to other people and that you could really help others. That's excellent advice, Tom. Is there anything else you'd like people to know about what you're doing? Um, I, I think one of the big things is that today it's never been easier to connect with people. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things wrong in the world, but there is no better time to be alive, right? The technology that we're using um, for free here to connect, uh, probably the president of the United States couldn't have used it 20 years ago uh, or the big corporations. I mean, there's such a great time to be alive and um, just use that, especially if you're a geek, you understand it. You know, uh, you understand how to leverage this and those skills that you have, you can apply to other places. So, you know, if I can be of any service to anybody, 
please feel free to reach out to me. I'm the only Tom Schwab in all of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, if you go to Facebook, you'll see pictures of my family. If you go to LinkedIn, that's where I do all my business stuff. And uh, I'll even put up a, a page, Neil, on interviewvalet.com forward slash geek. Uh, everything we talked about here and uh, some special resources there. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Tom. I'm sure people will appreciate it. Well, I mean, that, 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 that marks the end of our time. Thank you, Tom, for, for taking time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, everybody, that marks the end of Teach the Geek interviews. Again, my name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about that, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, please take care.